You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. My baseball career started, I guess, when I was about 10 years old. And I had an older brother, Josh. He's the one responsible for me learning all of the fundamentals of the game, and by God, did he teach some fundamentals. As far as my playing is concerned, I guess I would, I would have to say that there, there are a number of people that helped me grow up. My first manager in baseball, Johnny Keene, he showed me that he had confidence in me, and I guarantee you that nobody can participate in any kind of sports without confidence. And when I realized that he had confidence in me, then I felt that I had a lot in myself. Red Shengdis, he probably had more confidence in, than anyone. He's probably responsible for me winning as many ball games as I did. Red would leave me in there, regardless of whether the score was 20 to nothing. He figured that I would hold him and we'd get 21. Playing baseball was my life and it's something that I, I devoted 100% to. One writer asked me, what did I want to be remembered as? And I thought about it, and I said that I want to be remembered as a person, a competitor that gave 100% every time I went out on the field. Sometimes I wasn't too good, but nobody could accuse me of cheating them out of what they paid to see. Welcome to a special edition of the program. My name is Brett McMillan, and today we will spend the whole of the episode looking back and reflecting on the life and legacy of the great Bob Gibson. Easy to say, it's a no-brainer. The greatest pitcher in Cardinals history, one of the greatest pitchers in the history of the game of baseball, and I heard someone say the other day, and I think that you can make a very strong case for the fact that he was the most influential and important pitcher in the game post-World War II. Today we're going to celebrate his life with an incredible conversation between Ozzie Smith and Bob Gibson, one of the coolest professional experiences of my life, opening day 2017. We got these two and also Willie McGee together at a hotel here in the St. Louis area and shot some interviews for our Cardinals Insider TV show, the three of them, and then broke them out into groups of two as well. So what you're going to hear today has been featured on the podcast before, several years ago, and we're going to bring it back here today. You'll hear about Bob Gibson's career, uh, his life, especially being a black ball player in the 60s, what that was like, the way that he overcame the racism that he faced to put together one of the greatest baseball careers in the history of the sport. It's a wonderful, wonderful interview. I hope that you enjoy it. With that, let's get right to it. Ozzie Smith and Bob Gibson, looking back on the great life of number 45. You know, Bob, we, were, we, we touched on it a little bit here, but you came up in a time where um, it, was, it couldn't have been easy as an African-American player. Talk to us a little bit about how and what times were like in the, in the 50s when you, when you broke into the big leagues. Yeah, I, I signed with the Cardinals uh, 
in July, probably 31st of July in, uh, what year, 1957, 1957, and... Uh, See, I was a little boy. I was only three years old, so I watched <laughs> you when I was a little boy. I was, I was expecting you to say I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> Nobody else was. And the times back in '57 was 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 it was different. It was it was different. The the living conditions. You know, if you happen to be an African American player, you weren't allowed to stay with the rest of your teammates unless they were African American, African American, and uh, you so, weren't. So let me ask you. So when you went into a town, the team stays in a hotel. You guys were not allowed to stay in the hotel. What, not in the same hotel, and you know, they, if they had a, if, if you go to the ghetto and there was a hotel there, which most of the time there wasn't, uh, you had to stay in that hotel, or they made provisions for you to stay in somebody's house. Somebody's Families. Private, yeah, some family, which kind of put a little damper on the situation, but, uh, but you weren't allowed to stay with the team. But that wasn't just uh, in professional sports either. That happened to me when I was at Creighton. I, I, we went from Omaha to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and about halfway to Tulsa, the basketball coach came now, over. Now, this is when you were playing basketball. This is when I was playing basketball with Creighton, and uh, our coach came over about halfway to Tulsa, and he says, Bob, I got to sit and talk with you here for a second. I said, yeah, what's up? He says, when you get, uh, when we get to Tulsa, you won't be able to stay with the rest of the team. What you talking about? <laughs> you know, sound like Willis. Yeah. What you talking about, Willis? I, uh, I said, well, why not? Well, explain it to me. And uh, we, we have a place for you to stay. We have a house for you to stay in. And uh, we had a, there was a guy that I grew up with. His name was Glenn Sullivan. And he was on Creighton's basketball team. And... He, he grew up in the housing projects with me. Believe it or not, the housing projects were segregated also. The, the African-Americans stayed on one side, and on the other three sides were, were white families. But Glenn Sullivan was always over with us. And uh, we went to high school together. We went to college together. He was a little older. Uh, no, no he, was, uh, he, he was white? Was, was Glenn Sullivan... White? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, he just said, "Hey, don't worry about it. I'll go stay with you." And so he went and stayed with me in this this house in Tulsa, Oklahoma, while the other guys stayed in the hotel. And that's the first time I'd ever experienced that. So when I got to the Cardinals, and not necessarily uh, the uh, the major league team, Triple A, Omaha was Triple A. When uh, we went to uh, uh, Anywhere in the South would not stay with the rest of the players. And uh, Sullivan was right there with right there with me. Yeah, and that was difficult. And the 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 tough part about it, all of these things that are going through your head, the way you're being treated. I I remember going down and we stopped in Oklahoma City. This is going back to the college. Mm -hmm. We stopped in Oklahoma City. The players got off, the rest of the white players, I was the only black player, got off and went into the train station to eat. They brought dinner back to me on the, on bus. the bus. 
on the bus and um, or the train. So I say I lost the point. No, no. It, it, it's as far as the um, what effect that had on you. Yes, that's a, what I was. You know, these days I got to tie a string around my finger so I can remember. remember. Then I forget where I put the string. Okay. Um, you had to do that and then perform on the field just like everybody else. Yeah. And it was it was very well, difficult. Let me ask you: Did 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 that have anything to do with? your competitiveness and how you how you were driven? I really don't think so. Okay. Uh, I, I think my upbringing in the housing project in itself, we had to fight almost every day. You, you know, and if you thought that you couldn't win the fight, you had to hide and try to keep out of the guy's ways. And there was all kind of bullies and what have you. And, and I think I learned that there more so than in school. Uh, my oldest brother, he had uh, basketball teams and baseball teams and football teams. He would take us to all these small towns and then whenever he thought we were not being treated fairly, being cheated or what have you, he'd go out in the middle of the field and just challenge people. And I, we always thought somebody was going to kill him, you know, because we were going to a city, a little town. There were two, three hundred people there watching us play. Was he a big guy? He was. Uh, he was heavy. He was five ten, and he weighed about two forty. Okay. So he wasn't small. Right. But he wasn't big enough to beat up ten people, right. you know. Which he'd stand out there and just challenge them. You're going to cheat my kids out here. We're going to get in a truck and we're going to go home. And I think I learned that competitiveness uh, from him more than anything else. Yeah. Skill-wise, from a pitching standpoint, where did all that come from? He taught me. He taught you. He taught me. When, when, when you say he taught you, what did he, uh, what are the particular things that he talked about? Well, what he did, he was a coach to begin with, but he would uh, buy books, how-to and he'd buy these books and make me sit down with him. And we'd go over and they'd had pictures of how to hold a ball and what to do. And the, the you know, arm 90 angle. degree arm yeah. and don't down and up. And just all of this stuff. And he just watched me like a hawk. And I used to think he was unfair because he always wanted me to be better than everybody else. And uh, he would hold me to a little higher standards, standards than he would the rest of the guys. And it would, it would be because he spent so much time with me he would take me out on a field and had, and he would catch and have me throw to him and he would correct whatever I was doing wrong, you know? And then uh, he was, he, I told you before, he was like a father and he was old enough, you know, where he, uh, he, uh, he, he did a pretty good job not only teaching me how to play sports, but teaching me a little bit about life. and. Yeah do's and don'ts yeah. and what have you. You know, I think all of us uh, that have been fortunate enough to make it to the Hall of Fame had people in our lives that were, they all, they all taught us the same, or they gave us the same message about competing. You know, talking about having a person. I had a coach by the name of Glenn Ezell, who I felt rode me more than he rode everybody else. And he did that uh, because he saw that something special in me, mm -hmm. and he never wanted me to 
to walk away from it not having given my all. And I, I felt, and when I went to Instructional League, and this is where I met Glenn, I went to Instructional League, and I can remember him, come give me more, Hoss. Come on, Hoss, stay on it. And I'm running my tongue out because I'm trying to make it to the big mm -hmm. leagues. You know, I'm working hard every day. I'm, I'm running it out. I'm diving. I'm, I'm all of this stuff. Until one day, after Instructional League, he came to me and he said, Hoss, I know you think I've been riding you and been on you. Um, a lot. He said, but I've always felt that you had something special. And I'm here to tell you today that you got an invite to big league camp. And um, that, that day was, was probably one of the, the greatest days of my life because it's what you, it's what you fight for, yeah. you know, and to get that chance and to have somebody like that to believe in you. And I think that all of us at some point in time have had that person in our life that believed in us. Yeah, I was, I was lucky because I had two. After my brother Josh, he, who brought me all the way up, I got into high school. And then after you get into high school, you got to pretty much pay attention to your coaches and what have you there. Yeah. I had a, a, a coach, a white coach, his name was Neil Mosser. And in fact, in, in uh, my first year uh, on the varsity, I was a sophomore. We went to a state tournament, and, and he was, it was the first time in the state of Nebraska where five black guys started on the floor. You could hear a pin, pin drop. drop. Yeah, you well. could hear a pin drop. <laughs> There's no clapping, no anything. And uh, within the first half, we had one minute left in the first half. Every one of the guys except me had fouled out of the ball game. And, and I never fouled out of the ball game. And within the first minute of the second half, I fouled out. Wow. So they got rid of us, and we got beat 39 to 40. Wow. But Neil Mosser also got kicked out of the game. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know. But reason. this guy, was uh, he was the same type of personality as Josh. He wasn't Josh's size, but he, he knew what was going on in the world, right. and, and uh, I, I fought the world with him. Yeah. So um, in, in, in moving on, you know, when you, when you came to the Cardinals, you, you were here in... What year did you did you come up? Fifty nine. What what was it that um, that brought you to uh, coming to St. Louis? And I guess being in the Midwest, it probably wasn't that much different from from Omaha. The experience, as far as people are concerned. Well, yeah, the, the experience was a little different, I believe. Um, when I when I came to to St. Louis. Uh, racism was out there in your face. In, in Omaha, even though it's, it's only like 450 miles from here, it was a little different. But did it exist? Absolutely. But it wasn't in your face. Mm -hmm. And they didn't come up to you and tell you you couldn't do this. you know. And they didn't have signs telling you you couldn't go here and you couldn't go there. It was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And here you knew where your place was, mm -hmm. so-called. Yeah. And when did that change? It changed in 1962. Um, it changed in Florida for me and for us, for the ball, Cardinal ball players. and Bill White had a lot to do with that. They had all these signs about, don't drink out of this fountain. Had two, always had two fountains, had two bathrooms, had all of that, and I always went into the wrong one. I just don't know why. There's only Bob. There's only Bob Wood. <laughs> I would yeah. drink out of that other faucet and see if it was going to kill, kill anybody. Him. Didn't kill anybody. Yeah. Uh, 
but, but 62 is about when it changed, 61, 62. And it, it started being a, a little bit more subdued, you know, people didn't really get in your face. That's not to say that it didn't happen. It didn't exist. It existed, but people started to get a little better. And I, I thought that, and I still think it, that sports has a lot to do with that. It, it has a lot to do with teaching people how to live together, how to respect each other, how to respect ability, you know. I, somebody couldn't play, I don't like them either. <laughs> you know, get them out of here. Didn't matter whether they're black or white. You can't yeah. play, get him out of here. Yeah. But uh, I, I think it did, uh, sports does an awful lot uh, to change people mind, people's minds about who this person is. And if you don't get to be around a person, you're not going to ever find out what they're all about. But sports puts you around these people, day in and day out. So you're not really so bad. So well, yeah, you haven't pissed me off yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you you had this reputation of being this guy that didn't um, you didn't deal with the with the opposition. You didn't talk to the opposition. Now let me ask you, did if Bill White was on the other team, mm. would you not talk to him? No, I would talk to him. Okay. Because we were on the team together. But I'm saying that... It, it, if we had never been on the same team... Right, when did you get traded? You got traded. Oh, he got traded. He got traded. And so... the Cardinals. From uh, where? From the Cardinals. He came from... Bill White came from San Francisco to the Cardinals for Sad Sam Jones, pitcher. Okay. And that was in, in 1958 okay. or 9. And uh, if Bill had still been on San Francisco's team, I probably wouldn't... Wouldn't talk talk to him, him. even with the relationship. Well, no, not after relationship. That changed everything. There's there's one guy I never played with that I used to joke around with all the time, and I have I I don't know why it was Willie Stargell. I just liked him. Yeah. And uh, I would kind of kid him, and I wouldn't spend time doing it. But I'd walk by him and say something to him, maybe nudge him. We're gonna get you today or something like that. But. I, I did like him, and he was one the one person that was on the team that wasn't mine that I, I kind of talked to and what have you. Um, did he ever take you deep? Yeah. <laughs> and that's a simple question. Did he ever take you deep? Well, now, what difference does that make? Okay, all right. Well, forget the question. Scratch that. A couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he hit a ball off of me one time. <laughs> he hit a ball off of me. It, it went over my shoulder, my my left shoulder. I tried to catch it, and I couldn't catch it. It was hit so hard, and I turned around and looked, and it was going up into the stand <laughs> in center field. I got, ooh, good thing I didn't. That would have turned me right over. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a couple a uh, couple stories about him hitting balls that oh yeah that, that got yeah. out in a hurry. Left hander. You know, I had I had more trouble with left-handers than I did right-handers, which was was normal. normal. Yeah. And and this is really funny though. It's it's how hard this game is, because as a as a pitcher, they teach you to keep the ball down, keep the ball down. Well, if you keep the ball down, the left-handers they'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. left-handers. So now you got to learn to pitch. You got to keep the ball up, or you got to keep it in, or you keep it away. You don't keep it away too often. Yeah. Most of them, those guys that hit the ball a long way are big guys. Yeah. And you get that arm out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and, and drop it. Now you talk about pitching. When it, when did it, when did it come to you that you you realized that you were you were in the upper echelon as far as pitching was concerned? I I I was pitching 59, 60, 61. 61, Johnny King took over as the manager of the ball club. And he called me in his office. He says, Bob, you're going to start every five days regardless. So don't worry about getting a start. You're going to start. I want you to learn how to pitch. And up until that point, this I was... This was 62. 61, I'm sorry, 61. 61. And I, up until that point, I was kind of a mop-up pitcher here. I would go down to the minor leagues for two weeks and win two ball games or three ball games and come back up and still be in the bullpen. And uh, when he took over, he made me a starter. And that was in 61. And I won 13 games that year. And then it went up every year yeah. after that. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Who, who was the toughest, the toughest uh, hitter you ever faced? Oh, that's tough. Uh -huh. uh, the toughest hitter, not the best hitter. The toughest. The toughest. There were, there were two guys that hit me pretty well. One was uh, Billy Williams, and the other one was Ron Fairley. Dodgers. Dodgers. Ron Fairley would never hit a home run off you, but he just kept hitting singles over the shortstop's head and the second baseman's head, no matter what. I got to tell you a story about Ron Fairley. Uh, he uh, got a hit, as he always does, or two. And I got a base hit, and I was on first base, and he's playing first base for the Dodgers. So he kind of snuggles up to me and says, Hey, Bob, he says, Man, you really have good stuff. I don't know how anybody ever hits you. And I didn't say anything to him. I just took my lead, what have you. Joe Torrey was catching. And the next time he came up, he looked at Joe and he says, hey, Joe, I'm not going to like this that bad, am I? <laughs> and Joe just started laughing. I hit him right in the middle of the back. Back, right in the back. That was the last time he said anything. <laughs> get your, hit, get your get hits your hit and leave, leave me, me alone. alone. Yeah, don't talk to me. 67, 68, let's talk about the, uh, those two years. Um, what do you remember about 67 and 68? Well, 67 was a tough year for me. Uh, I was going really well, and I ended up getting a brick in the ankle. Uh, Roberto Clemente hit a line drive down, and I couldn't get down fast enough to catch it. Hit me in the ankle and broke it. I had won uh, 12 games. I had won 12 games before the All-Star break, and this was right, in, right before the All-Star break. And, uh, of course, I rehabbed and the whole thing, and we came back at the end of the season uh, in September, and I pitched and won that game and made me win 13. And that was a tough year for me, but I, 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 I did a really good job of rehabbing, and while I was in the cast, I threw every day in the cast. Uh, we had Johnny Lewis, who was one of the... The Cardinal hitting instructors. Yeah, well, he was in the front office at the time, and he used to come out every day and catch me. Mm -hmm. I'd throw off the mound. I just wanted to keep my arm uh, in shape, and I knew I wouldn't be able to really do everything the way I, I, I did on the mound when, you know, when I was healthy, but I just wanted to keep my arm in shape. And so that year, uh, we, we were against 
the Red Sox, and I won three games in the in a series. We won this World Series. Now, 68 was entirely different. 68 from the beginning to the end, I don't think I ever pitched any better. I mean, everything was just right on. I, I had a I had a zone that I, I really believe, and I never tried it, but I believe that I could have closed my eyes and thrown the ball where I wanted to or get within a distance of it. And uh, I just didn't make a lot of bad pitches that year. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a tough year, though, as far as the Cardinals were concerned because we didn't score a lot of runs. But we won, <laughs> we won the championship again, and we didn't win the World Series. Right. We probably should have, but we didn't win it. Detroit won it. I don't think the best team won. Okay. <laughs> now that team, the Detroit team at that time had uh, Denny McLean, McLean, Mickey Lolich, Mickey Lolich. Um, who were the other pitchers on that staff? And I can't remember day before yesterday. Yeah. I, I can't remember who. They Those were. were the two standouts. Yeah. Was that the year that Denny McLean won thirty? He won thirty, 30 games. games. Yeah, and he wasn't. As far as we're concerned, he wasn't their best pitcher. Lolich was. Lolich. Uh -huh. Yeah. But sometimes the best pitcher uh, didn't, didn't win, and I'll tell you why. Because they would always match the best pitcher well, against the other team's, team's best, best pitcher. pitcher. Mm -hmm. And it was just a flip of the coin who was going to win that ball game. And I, I, in 68, I must have pitched against Koufax five times. You know, mm -hmm. it seems like I did. It seems like I pitched against him every other week. And we couldn't hit him. They weren't going to get but one run off of me. He beat me twice in one week, one to nothing. And wow. uh, it, was, it was just tough. So your, your best pitcher doesn't necessarily win all the games yeah. because he's got a tough road to handle. But he wins the, the ones that you need. Yeah. Uh, he's the guy when you, you, you've lost four games in a row and you need somebody to stop, stop that skid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's why I've always felt that um, if you have two guys on your team that can give you a better than 50% chance of winning. Two guys, you can, all, you, you can always stop a, a bad streak. Yes, yeah, and you can, you're gonna have a good, if you got two guys that, that have outstanding years like that, yeah. you're gonna be right in the hunt, mm -hmm. if, if not winning it. And then you're the gonna be right there. And then the other thing is being able to play defense, catch and throw. Yeah. You know, when I, when I look back at my, uh, my career and everything, one of the things that, and, and we're gonna close with this, is that I wish I would have had the opportunity to play with some body that had your dominance. I, I wonder what, what it would have been like to have been able to play. And, and I played with some, some guys that were, were good pitchers, but I mean a, a dominating pitcher who uh, every day that he went out there, you know, he had a better than 50% chance of winning. And then you incorporate that with, 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 with a guy who, who had some of my skills at how, at how that would have played off of each other, how good that would have been. And I, I wish I would have had the opportunity to, to, to play with somebody like you. Well, I feel the same way about you. Um, of course, I've told you that. Yeah. Um, it, it, we, we had a good shortstop in, in Maxville. Uh, Maxie could catch the ball. His range wasn't really as good as yours. But he could catch the ball if you hit to him. But, uh, the added attraction, as far as I'm concerned with you, is that you could hit. Maxi couldn't hit too much at all, and then, of course, he didn't care about it. He said, I, I got to the big leagues by catching the ball, and that's the way I'm going to stay here, and which he was right. Yeah. 
But you get every once in a while, you make a mistake and hit a home run and stuff like that. So. Well, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> it was all about, you know, I, I, I never came to this or never played wanting to be a one-dimensional player. Yeah. My, my idea was that if I was going to play, I was going to be as well-rounded a player as I could be. That if I was a good defensive player, I wanted to try and match that on the other side. And, you know, I came to the game notably as a defensive player. But I worked extremely hard at being a better offensive player because, you know, uh, you can help your team both defensively and offensively. And that was, that was always my goal. I didn't want to leave this game with people just saying that I was a one-dimensional player. All he could do was catch the ball and, yeah. uh, and stuff. So I put forth the effort the work, the blood, the sweat, and the tears. And I tell young kids today that you're only going to get out of something what you put in it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't put anything in it, you shouldn't expect anything in return. And, and that's really life. And so, um, you know, as I sit here today, um, I, I look back and I say that, you know, I didn't leave anything to chance. And if that meant that you know, it put me in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in the place that I am, then that's just the way the chips that's the way the cards fell. And um, I know that sitting here, I, every day that I went out there, I did the very best that I could. I didn't win every day. Our team didn't win every day. But I know that I gave everything I had that particular day. See, we were, we were a lot in that respect. I, I didn't want to be just a good pitcher. I wanted to be a good ball player. Yes. I used to go out take extra batting practice. I used to steal bases. And they I, I, and somebody hit your bat a couple times accidentally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, hanging. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I would I would take infield. Sometimes I would play third base during batting practice, and I'd get in on the grass, and guys would hit balls by me, and I used to snag them, you know, unless it was hit too hard, then I'd jump out of the way. <laughs> but but I did all of those things too because I wanted to be a good ball player. I didn't just want to be a good pitcher. Right. And I, I just the way I felt about the game. Well, good. I, well, I think you know how I feel about you, and um, I thank you so much for doing this. Anytime. My friend. You know that. Bob Gibson. There are video tributes to Bob Gibson available on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash cardinals. Gibby will be memorialized in a private service today in Omaha, Nebraska. Thanks so much for listening. We also lost Lou Brock, of course, recently. We didn't get a chance to bring you any content related to Lou's life here on the show. We'll be sure to do that as the offseason goes along. We'll get shows to you here and there throughout the wintertime and gearing up for 2021. Always fun to sit and talk with you. Great to remember those times, the life, the legacy, the importance, the impact of Bob Gibson, the greatest pitcher in Cardinals history. Thanks so much to Ozzy, and uh, thanks to Bob as well that day for, for making that time now here at the end of his life. Uh, just a treat for all of us to be able to look back and hear his story in his own words. Great appreciation for both of those men. Great appreciation for you. We'll talk to you next time on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. 
that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.